Part six of the Lovesiac History by Palladius, translated by W. K. Lowther Clark, B. D. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six Posidonius. The stories about Posidonius, the Theban, are many and hard to relate. How meek he was, and how exceedingly ascetic, and what great innocence of soul he possessed. I do not know if I have met any such. For I lived with him at Bethlehem for one year, when he dwelt beyond Pimenion, and I beheld his many virtues. And among other things he himself told me this one day. Living for a year in the Porphyrites district, the whole year I met no man, heard no talk, touched no bread. I merely subsisted on a few dates and any wild herbs I found. This happened one day. My food failing, I went out from the cave to go back to the world, and having walked all the day with difficulty, did I get two miles from the cave. Well, looking round, I saw a horseman with the appearance of a soldier, having on his head a helmet in the shape of a tiara and expecting him to be a soldier, I ran to the cave and found on the way a basket of grapes and newly picked figs. I picked it up and went to the cave overjoyed, and had that food as my comfort for two months. And this was the miracle he did in Bethlehem. A certain woman, approaching her confinement, had an unclean spirit, and when she was actually about to be delivered, she had difficult labor, the spirit tormenting her. The husband, therefore, since his wife was suffering from the demon, came and besought that holy man to come. So he stood up. We were present, having come at the same time to pray, and prayed, and after kneeling down for the second time he drove out the spirit. So he stood up and said to us, Pray. For at this moment the unclean spirit is going out, and there should be a sign that we may be convinced. So the demon, on his way out of her, threw down the whole wall of the precincts, foundations and all. Now the woman had been six years without speech. After the demon had gone out, she gave birth to a child and spoke. I knew also the following prophecies spoken by this man. A certain Jerome, a priest, distinguished Latin writer and cultivated scholar, as he was, showed qualities of temper so disastrous that they threw into the shade his splendid achievements. Well, Posidonius, who had lived with him many days, said in my ear, The noble Pavla, who looks after him, will die first, and be freed from his bad temper, so I think. And because of this, no holy man will dwell in these parts, but his envy will include even his own brother. The thing happened as he said. For, in fact, he drove out the blessed Oxyparentius, the Italian, and another man, Peter, an Egyptian, and Simeon, admirable men, whom I noticed with approval at the time. This Posidonius told me that he had not tried bread for forty years, nor indeed had he borne malice for half a day. Chapter 37 Serapion, 
the Sindoniti. There was another monk, Serapion, and he was surnamed the Sinoditi, for apart from a Sindon, loincloth, he never wore clothes. He practiced great detachment from possessions, and, being well educated, knew all the scriptures by heart, and through his great detachment, in his meditation on the scriptures, he was unable to remain calmly in the cell, not because he was distracted by material things, yet none the less he travelled up and down the world, and perfected this type of asceticism. For he was born with this nature, for there are differences of natures, not of substances. The fathers used to relate how, taking an ascetic as his accomplice, he sold himself to some Greek actors in a certain city for twenty pieces of money, and having sealed up the money, he kept it on his person. Then he stayed a long while, and served as slave to the actors who had bought him, until he both made them Christians, and induced them to leave the stage. All the time he took nothing except bread and water, nor did his lips rest from expounding the scriptures. After a long period, first the man was stricken with compunction, then the actress, then the whole house. But it was said that as long as they did not know him, he washed the feet of them both. So both were baptized, and gave up the stage, and applying themselves to an honorable and pious life, they revered the man exceedingly, and said to him, Here, brother, let us free you, since you yourself have freed us from disgraceful slavery. He said to them, Since God has wrought this, and your soul is saved, let me tell you the mystery of my conduct. I pitied your soul, being myself an ascetic, a free man, an Egyptian by race, and I sold myself for this reason, that I might save you. But since God has done this, and your soul has been saved through my humiliation, take back your money, that I may go away and help others. But they used many entreaties and assured him, We will have you as father and master, only stay with us. But they could not persuade him. Then they said to him, Give the money to the poor, for it has been our first payment for salvation. But come and see us, if only once a year. In the course of his incessant wanderings he came to Greece, and during a three days' stay at Athens no one thought fit to give him bread. He carried no money, no purse, no sheepskin coat, nothing of the kind. So when the fourth day came he was very hungry, for hunger unwillingly endured is terrible, if it has an ally in the fact that no one believes you and standing on an eminence in the city, where the authorities were collecting, he began to lament violently, clapping his hands, and to call out, Men of Athens, help! And all ran to him, wearers of the philosopher's cloak and laborers' smock alike, and said to him, What is the matter? Whence are you? What ails you? Said he to them, by race I am an Egyptian. After I left my real country, I fell in with three usurers, and two left me, having got their debt in full, 
with no accusation to make, but one does not leave me. So inquiring minutely about the usurers, in order that they might satisfy them, they asked him, Where are they, and who are they? Who is it that troubles you? Show him to us that we may help you. Then he said to them, From my youth covetousness and gluttony and fornication have troubled me. From two am I freed, covetousness and fornication, they trouble me no longer. But I cannot get free from gluttony, for this is the fourth day that I have not eaten, and my stomach continues troubling me and seeking its habitual debt without which I cannot live. Then certain of the philosophers, supposing it to be acting, gave him money, and having received it, he put it down in a baker's shop, and having got one loaf, he resumed his journey, and left the city at once, and never more returned to it. Then the philosophers recognized that he was truly virtuous, and giving the baker the price of the bread, they took the piece of money. But having come to the country where the Spartans live, he heard that one of the first men of the city was a Manichaean with all his house, though virtuous in other respects. To him again he sold himself as he had done at first, and within two years he induced him to forsake his heresy, and brought him to the church and his wife also. Then they loved him no longer as a servant, but treated him as a true brother or father, and glorified God. One day he flung himself into a vessel, as if he had a right to sail to Rome. The sailors, thinking that either he had paid his fare, or had the price of it in cash, received him without trouble, each thinking that another had taken his luggage. But when they had sailed away, and got five hundred states from Alexandria, the passengers began to eat about sundown, the sailors having eaten first. They saw that he did not eat the first day, and expected it was because of the voyage, similarly on the second, third, and fourth days. On the fifth day they saw him sitting quietly while all ate, and said to him, Why are you not eating, man? He said to them, Because I have nothing. So they inquired of one another, Who received his luggage or his fare? And when they found that no one had, they began to attack him and say, how did you come on without paying? From what source can you give us the fare? Or from what source can you get fed? He said to them, I have nothing. Pick me up, and throw me where you found me. But they would not willingly have relinquished their voyage, even for one hundred gold pieces. But they wanted to get to their destination. So he remained in the ship, and found that they fed him until they got to Rome. So, having come to Rome, he inquired who was a great ascetic in the city, man or woman. Among others he met also a certain Domninus, a disciple of Origen, whose bed healed sick persons after his death. So he met him and was benefited, for he was a man of refined manners and liberal education, and learning from him what other ascetics were there, male or female, he was told of a certain virgin, who cultivated solitude and would meet no one, 
and having learned where she lived, he went off, and said to the old woman who attended her, Tell the virgin, I must meet you, for God has sent me. So after waiting two or three days, at last he met her, and said to her, Why do you remain stationary? She said to him, I do not remain stationary, I am on a journey. He said to her, Where are you journeying? She said to him, To God. He said to her, Are you alive or dead? She said to him, I trust in God that I am dead, for no one who lives to the flesh shall make that journey. He said to her, Then do what I do, that you may convince me that you are dead. She said to him, Order me possible things, and I will do them. He answered her, All things are possible to a dead person except impiety. Then he said to her, Go out and appear in public. She answered him, This is the twenty-fifth year that has passed without my appearing in public, and why should I appear? If you are dead to the world, said he to her, and the world to you, it is all the same to you, whether you appear or appear not. So appear in public. She did so, and after she had appeared outside, and gone as far as a church, he said to her in the church, Now then, if you wish to convince me that you are dead, and no longer live pleasing men, do what I do, and I shall know that you are dead. Follow my example, and take off all your clothes, and put them on your shoulders. Go through the middle of the city with me, leading the way in this fashion. She said to him, I should scandalize many by the unseemliness of the thing, and they would be able to say, She is mad and possessed by a demon. He answered her, What does it concern you if they say, She is mad? and possessed by a demon, for you are dead to them. Then she said to him, If you want anything else, I will do it, for I do not profess to have reached this stage. Then he said to her, See then, no longer be proud of yourself as more pious than all others, and dead to the world, for I am more dead than you, and show by my act that I am dead to the world for impassively and without shame I do this thing. Then having left her in humility and broken her pride, he departed. There are many other marvelous acts which he did in the direction of impassivity. He died in the sixtieth year of his age and was buried in Rome itself. Chapter 38 Evagres Ponticos it is not right to be silent about the story of the illustrious deacon, Evagrius, a man who lived in apostolic wise. Rather, one ought to put it into writing for the edification of readers and the glory of the goodness of our Saviour. I have thought it worth while to relate the story from the beginning, how he came to his ideal, and how having pursued asceticism worthily, he died in the desert at the age of fifty-four, according to the words of Scripture. In a little time he fulfilled many years. He came of a Pontic family, and belonged to the city of Ibora, 
the son of a country bishop. He was ordained reader by the holy Basil, the bishop of the church of Caesarea. After the death of the holy Basil, Gregory Nazianzinos, the bishop, that very wise and most impassive and highly cultured man, ordained him deacon. Then, at the great synod of Constantinople, he left him to the blessed Nectarios, the bishop, since he was skilled in argument against all heresies, and he flourished in the great city, speaking with youthful zeal against every heresy. Now it happened that this young man, who was held in high honor by the whole city, was congealed by an image of the desire of a woman, as he himself told us at a later time, when his soul was freed from such thoughts. The woman loved him in return. Now she belonged to the highest rank. So Evagrius, fearing God and respecting his own conscience, and putting before his eyes the greatness of the shame and the malicious joy of the heresies, prayed to God in supplication that he would put some obstacle in the way. Now the woman was pressing and madly excited, while he, though desiring to withdraw, had no power to, being constrained by the chains of this servitude. After no long time, when his prayer had succeeded, but he had not yet experienced the benefit of it, there appeared to him an angel vision in the shape of soldiers of the governor, and they seized him and took him apparently to the tribunal and threw him into the so-called custody, the men who had come to him, as it seemed, without giving a reason, having first fastened his neck and hands with iron collars and chains. But he knew in his conscience that for the sake of the above fault he was suffering these things, and imagined that her husband had intervened. So now he was extremely anxious. Another trial was going on, and others were being put to torture for some accusation, so he continued to be much perturbed. And the angel who brought the vision transformed himself to represent the coming of a genuine friend, and said to him, tied up as he was, among forty prisoners chained together, Why are you retained here, my lord deacon? He said to him, In truth, I do not know, but I have a suspicion that so-and-so, the ex-governor, has laid a charge against me, impelled by an absurd jealousy. And I fear that the judge corrupted by bribes may inflict punishment on me. He said to him, If you will listen to your friend, it is not expedient for you to stay in this city. Evagrius said to him, if God will release me from this misfortune, and you see me in Constantinople any more, know that I shall suffer this punishment justly. He said to him, Let me bring the gospel, and swear to me by it that you will leave this city, and care for your soul, and I will free you from this durance. So he brought the gospel, and he swore to him by the gospel except for one day, to give me time to put my clothes on board, I certainly will not remain. So when the oath had been produced, he came back out of the trance which had come on him in the night, and he arose and argued with himself. 
even if the oath was in a trance, nevertheless I did take it. So having put all his belongings into the ship, he went to Jerusalem. And there he was received by the blessed Melania, the Roman lady. But once again the devil hardened his heart, as he did Pharaoh's, and since he was young and vigorous, doubts beset him, and he hesitated, saying nothing to any one, and changing his clothes and his habit of speech back to his old ways, vainglory stupefying him. But God, who wards off destruction from us all, involved him in a bout of fever, and after that, in a long illness lasting six months, drying up his flesh, the source of his trouble. But when the physicians were at a loss, and could find no way of cure, the blessed Melania said to him, Son, your long illness does not please me. Tell me, therefore, what are your thoughts? For this illness of yours is not without God. Then he confessed to her the whole matter. But she said to him, Give me your word before the Lord that you will keep to the mark of the monastic life, and, sinner though I am, I will pray that you may be granted a furlough of life. And he consented. So within a few days he got well, and he arose and received a change of clothes at the hands of the lady herself, and went away and exiled himself in the Mount of Nitria, which is in Egypt. Having lived there two years, in the third year he entered the desert. So he lived fourteen years in the place they call Kalia, and he used to eat a pound of bread, and in three months a pint of oil, though he was a man who had come from a luxurious and refined and voluptuous life. And he made one hundred prayers, and he wrote during the year only the value of what he ate, for he wrote the Oxyrinko's characters excellently. So in the course of fifteen years, having purified his mind to the utmost, he was counted worthy of the gift of knowledge and wisdom and the discerning of spirits. So he composed three holy books for monks, called Antiretica, in which he taught the arts to be used against demons. The demon of fornication troubled him grievously, as indeed he told us himself and all night long he stood naked in the well, though it was winter, so that his flesh was frozen. On another occasion again the spirit of blasphemy troubled him, and for forty days he did not enter under a roof, as he told us himself, so that his body threw out ticks, like the bodies of irrational animals. Three demons attacked him by day, disguised as clerics, questioning him on the faith. And one said he was an Arian, the other an Ethnomian, the third an Apollinarian, and he vanquished these in his wisdom by means of a few words. Again, one day, the key of the church having been lost, having made the sign over the front of the lock, and pushed with his hand, he opened it, after first calling upon Christ. So many castigations did he receive from demons, and so great trial of them did he have, that there is no counting the occasions. And to one of his disciples, 
he told the things that would happen to him after eighteen years, having prophesied all to him in a vision of the future. And he said, From the time that I took to the desert, I have not touched lettuce, nor any other green vegetable, nor any fruit, nor grapes, nor meat, nor a bath. And later, in the sixteenth year of his life without cooked food, his flesh felt the need, owing to the weakness of the stomach, to partake of something that had been on the fire. He did not, however, take bread even now, but having fed on herbs or gruel or pulse for two years, in this regime he died, after communicating in church at Epiphany. Shortly before his death he told us, For three years I have not been troubled by fleshly desire. After so long a life and toil and labor and ceaseless prayer. He was told of the death of his father, and said to his informant, Cease blaspheming, for my father is immortal. Chapter 39. Peor. Peor, a young Egyptian, having renounced the world, left his father's house, and in an excess of zeal gave his word to God that he would never see any of his relations again. Fifty years after, his sister, now an old woman, having heard that he was alive, seemed likely to go out of her mind if she could not see him. But being unable to go to the great desert, she besought the bishop of the district to write to the fathers in the desert that they should send him and she might see him. So considerable pressure having been brought to bear on him, he decided to take one other with him and go. And he announced at his sister's house, Your brother Peor has come. So standing outside and perceiving from the creaking of the door that the old woman came out to meet him, he closed his eyes and called to her, Ho, what's your name? I am Peor, your brother. I am he. Look at me as much as you want. So she was convinced, and glorified God, and having failed to persuade him to enter her house, she returned to her dwelling. But he, having offered a prayer on the doorstep, exiled himself again in the desert. Now this miracle is told of him, that he dug in the place where he lived and found some very bitter water. And until he died he remained there, accepting the bitterness of the water in order to show his endurance. Many of the monks, therefore, after his death, tried to rival him by dwelling in his cell, but they could not complete a year, for the place is terrible and inconsolably dreary. Moses the Libyan, a man of exceedingly gentle disposition and very affectionate, was counted worthy of the gift of healings. He told me this, when I was a young man in the monastery, we dug a very big pit, twenty feet broad. In this, eighty of us excavated for three days, and we got a cubit further than the vein where we generally found water, and expected it in this case, but found none. So very much disheartened, we were contemplating the abandonment of the work. Then Peor appeared from the great desert at the sixth hour, the time of burning heat, an old man clad in a sheepskin coat, and greeted us and said after the greeting, 
Why have you lost heart, men of little faith? For I have seen you since yesterday losing heart. And having descended by a ladder to the cavity of the well, he said a prayer with them. And having taken the pick, he said, after striking the third blow, O God of the holy patriarchs, make not the toil of thy servants useless, but send them the water they need. And immediately water sprang out, so that they were wetted all over. So he prayed once more and went off. They tried to make him eat, but he would not suffer them, saying, That for which I was sent is accomplished. For this I was not sent. Chapter 40 Ephraim You must have heard particulars about Ephraim, the deacon of the church of Edessa, for he is one of those who deserve to be remembered by religious people. Having completed in worthy fashion the journey of the Spirit, without being diverted from the straight road, he was counted worthy of the grace of natural knowledge, and afterwards of the knowledge of God, and final blessedness. So having always practiced the quiet life, and for many years continuing to edify his visitors, at last he left his cell for the following reason. A great famine having come upon the city of Edessa, he felt compassion for the whole countryside, which was being destroyed, and approached those who were rich in material things, and said to them, Why do you not take pity on human nature being destroyed, instead of letting your wealth be corrupted for the condemnation of your souls? They considered the matter, and said to him, We have no one whom we can trust to minister to the famine-stricken, for all are dishonest in business affairs. He said to them, What do you think of me? Now he had a great reputation among all, not falsely, but truly. They said to him, We know you to be a man of God. Then trust me, he said. See, on your behalf I appoint myself hospitaller. And he raised money, and partitioned the porticos, and made up some three hundred beds, and so nursed the sufferers from the famine, burying those who succumbed, and treating those who had hope of life, and in a word, out of the funds entrusted to him, provided day by day hospitality and assistance for all the inhabitants. So when the year was completed, and prosperity returned, and all went home, no longer having anything to do, he entered his own cell and died after a month, God having provided him this opportunity of gaining a crown just before his end. Also, he left some writings, most of which deserve to be studied. Chapter 41 Holy Women it is necessary also to mention in my book certain women with manly qualities to whom God apportioned labors equal to those of men, lest any should pretend that women are too feeble to practice virtue perfectly. Now I have seen many such, and met many distinguished virgins and widows. Among them was the Roman lady Pavla, mother of Toxotius, a woman of great distinction in the spiritual life. She was hindered by a certain Jerome from Thalmatia, 
for though she was able to surpass all, having great abilities, he hindered her by his jealousy, having induced her to serve his own plan. She has a daughter now living an ascetic life at Bethlehem, Evstokia by name. I have never met her, but she is said to be very chaste, and she has a convent of fifty virgins. I also knew Veneria, wife of Valonicus, the Count, who gallantly distributed her camel's burden and was delivered from the wounds which property inflicts. And Theodora, the wife of the Tribune, who reached such a depth of poverty that she became a recipient of alms, and finally died in the monastery of Ezekias near the sea. I knew a lady named Hosea, in every respect most venerable, and her sister Adolia, who lived in a way not indeed comparable to her, but proportionately to her own capacity. I knew also Vassianella, the wife of Candidianos, the general, who practiced virtue ardently and scrupulously, and is still even now strenuously engaged in contest. Also the virgin Potina, venerable in the extreme, daughter of Theoctistus the priest, near Laodicea. Again I met in Antioch a most venerable lady who conversed familiarly with God, the deaconess Sobaniana, aunt of John, the bishop of Constantinople. And I saw also in Rome the beautiful Asella, the virgin who had grown old in the monastery, a very gentle lady, and a supporter of convents. There also I saw men and women recently instructed. I saw also Avita, who was worthy of God, with her husband Apronianos, and their daughter Evnomea, all so desirous to please God that they were publicly converted to the life of virtue and continence, and were held worthy on this account to fall asleep in Christ freed from all sin, having become possessed of knowledge and leaving their life in good remembrance. End of Part 6